My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Paul Casey. Paul is an ACC certified coach uh, with the International Coaching Federation. He's the owner of Growing Forward Services and uh, the author of five books. His newest book is Leading Through the Dark Waters of Conflict. And we're going to dig in a little bit about really how uh, Paul coaches people in, in, you know, navigating those those dark waters so I'd like to start off with you know where you were born and raised what your life was like growing up maybe some of your early influences um maybe what your mom and dad did when you were growing up so uh you know first off let me thank you for coming on and agreeing to talk with me but um yeah if we could dig in be great Thank you, Dave. I appreciate you having me on the show today. I love talking leadership and uh, I've enjoyed listening to, to your show as well. So yeah, I grew up in a, a south suburb of Chicago, Illinois, and uh, I was in a, I'm an only child, so that of course shapes you as well. They say that's like a, a firstborn on steroids, you know, it's the only child. So I think that shaped me a little bit to be over-responsible and, and live in a, an adult world sooner than probably my other friends did. Uh, my parents were teachers. So my mom was a teacher in the school that I was at. It was a private school. And my dad was a PE teacher for, I think, 39 years. So he was in the same school system that entire time. So I grew up in a family of educators and uh, made me want to become an educator, even though I heard all the dirt, you know, that would happen as teachers and all the stress and the burnout and uh, the difficulties. Uh, I still wanted to be one. So I, I sort of set my course for uh, becoming a teacher when I graduated and went to college uh, in your lovely state, uh, in Pensacola, Florida, actually, and majored in elementary education. So that was uh, some of my, my original uh, background. What school did you go to? In uh, Pensacola Christian College. It's a really small private school there. And uh, yeah, I think there's only like 4,000 students. And uh, yeah, I just... I started with elementary ed, minored in English, so I'm sort of a grammar Nazi, and uh, uh, came out of that and moved to Southern California, where I became a fifth grade teacher in a uh, private school out there. So I went from Chicago down to Florida over to Southern California, and I had never been west of the Mississippi in my life uh, at that point, so that was a huge leap for me. You're also a podcast host. Uh, your podcast is Grow Forward Today. Yes, sir. And, and of course, I'll have links to your website uh, in the show notes and uh, links to your podcast. I am very curious about what led you to do what you're doing now. 
um, what what was really your your big influence that, that led you on this path? Yeah, absolutely. So I think and being an educator is my at my core. So it started with educating children, and then I became a, a school vice principal very early, and then a school principal by age 26, which is very young, and moved up here to the lovely state of Washington. And so I'm on the eastern side of uh, Washington State in the southeast corner in an area called the Tri-Cities. And uh, during that time, I, uh, so I became a principal at 26, which I was very young. And so it's my first leadership post, and I've got everybody older than me. The, the teachers, the rest of the teachers were older than me. The parents were older than me. The board, you know, the superintendent, everybody was older than me. So I, I sort of had to grow up fast in leadership and learn a lot of the skills that I'm teaching to this day, but I had to learn the hard way and take some lumps. So I did that, I went to a couple of different schools, and then I moved back to this area to take a job as a parenting educator at a church. So then, um, so now I'm doing parenting skills. This is when uh, CDs were, were uh, you know, recording everything to CD. This is when podcasts were just starting back then. And we did some live events, some parenting seminars. That job matured into uh, becoming like the whole family, like a family pastor kind of a role. And so then it was marriage education as well. So I did premarital ed, which I could still do to this day and officiate weddings. <laughs> so it was uh, quite the variety, but it's always been education. So after going to a different church for or leading a different church for a while, um, I heard about this thing called life coaching. And I'm like, who? it sounds a little woo-woo, you know, like, like, what is that? And uh, this guy had a business card in a local coffee shop. And I went, I'm going to give him a call. So I did. He met with me. He told me what life coaching was. And I went, oh, that is what I already love to do. Help people get to their goals and their dreams, you know, create a vision for their life, uh, co-create that together and help them, you know, get through their obstacles. So something was filed away in my brain at that time of, I wonder if I could do this. I wonder if that could be a career. And I was already speaking at teacher conventions in seven different regions. So I loved giving practical ideas to teachers. And I thought, hmm, coaching, speaking, and what if I added like team building onto that? And I had a three-legged stool. I wonder if I could make a business. So um, in 2011, around Christmas time, I decided you know what, I'm just going to get the website and the business card and the tax ID number, you know, and I'm going to go for it. And while I still have the day job, the dream job is starting to get a little bit more and more every year. Then in 2015, I launched full-time as an entrepreneur and uh, resigned from my other positions and your income goes to zero, <laughs> you know, when you become an entrepreneur and had to network uh, like crazy but uh, after about a year of getting my feet under me, um, just growing every year. So, and I haven't looked back. I get to live my purpose every single day and I love my job. I'd like to get an idea of maybe some of those lessons that you learned, those leadership lessons, because it, it in my experience, the, the best lessons that I've had are the ones where I really like fell on my face and, you know, ticked a lot of people off. And <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing that uh, you already set the stage, uh, you know, being the young guy, everybody else is older, more experienced, and you've got to prove yourself. And I, I'm, I can only imagine. So I, I'll let you have the, 
the floor here because I want to hear this. Yes. Uh, and I remember my first performance review from the uh, superintendent. And he said, like, in your enthusiasm, you have overachieved. <laughs> I still remember that line because because I was just full of enthusiasm. I was like, this is going to be the best school in the world, you know, and I was collecting ideas from, I think I visited 50, 50 to 55 other schools just to steal ideas and like, oh, that's a really good idea. We can modify that. And I have a puppet, an eagle puppet, you know, that I would bring out for assemblies and uh, I played with the kids at recess, you know, it was, I was just having a great time, but the teachers were sort of like, hey, man, just go back to your office, uh, you know, let us do our job, and I, I had to learn that, like, everybody didn't have that same enthusiasm for the whole school as my purview was, which was growing the school as they were in their classroom, so I had to learn different people's personality styles, so that was a big uh, shocker, right, that other people had a different style than I did. So I'm not going to get any buy-in unless I custom communicate to the different styles. And during that time, I learned of the four animal styles, the lion, otter, golden retriever, and beaver. And that's uh, a fun thing that I get to teach to this day. The other thing, uh, another funny story since you bring up falling on your face, um, uh, uh, when it comes to conflict, you know, I'm, I'm more of a golden retriever. So I'm more of an amiable styles. So um, and when you're a principal, you got to deal with a lot of different constituents and a lot of different conflict. And I remember having to bring a teacher into my office about a dress code violation. And uh, I was a female teacher, which of course, you know, we're already in danger zone right there. And, you know, I shot the breeze with her so long that I didn't even bring up the issue and she walked skipping away and I was like oh shoot I didn't even I didn't even bring up the actual issue I had to bring her back to actually uh you know talk about the issue at hand so I was trying to smooth things over and be everybody's best friend and realize sometimes you got to say the hard words I've actually never heard the the four animals before so I'm curious what what is that yes uh happy to talk about it so um, you might have heard of the DISC uh, survey or the colors or the social styles. They're all sort of the same. And uh, the animal one is a lot of fun because you get labeled an animal and you just sort of laugh. You know, it's like you don't feel like, oh, you're labeling me. So the four styles are the lion, the otter, the golden retriever, and the beaver. So the lion is the high D, the dominant style, uh, blunt, um, like let's go for it. Let's go after metrics. Let's take the next hill you know, push the feelings aside because we're, you know, we're going to bulldoze our way to success, right? And they also struggle with caring about people's feelings. They're very impatient. They're workaholics. And uh, they have to be careful to put a filter on their mouth before they talk. Then you've got the otter style, which is the playful, witty person, super creative, spontaneous, inspirational, you know, uh, sunshine and rainbows kind of a person. They're very messy though. They, uh, they don't go deep or follow through and close loops really well. Sometimes they talk too much and have too much drama. Uh, then we've got the golden retriever style, which is calm and loyal, great listener, a lot of empathy, super conscientious, but they hate change. They really hate conflicts. They get their feelings hurt uh, easier than the other styles and uh, they don't wanna be in public at all. Then you've got the beaver personality style, which is organized, planned, structured, color-coded, alphabetized, 
they love numbers and metrics and sexy spreadsheets, you know, but they, uh, they also can be uh, perfectionists. They can get a little OCD if they're not careful. Uh, and sometimes uh, they can get offended for different reasons. They're super introverted and they go into their cave and sometimes you have to try to bring them out. So those are the four styles. I've never heard of those. And I, uh, so I do the, the disc assessments yeah. and um, I really enjoy doing that, but yeah, you're right. It's, I, I kind of like the, the animal descriptors there. I think for some clients that might be a little more palatable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's fun. Like, so, so some of the companies after they do the training with me, they'll, they'll actually take pictures of lions or otters and put them on their door on their desks. So as you approach them, you think, Oh, it's a lion. I've got to get to the bottom line with this person. They don't want to talk about my weekend. <laughs> they want to get stuff done. But then if you have an otter, you walk up to that person and go, Oh, they better ask me. Uh, I better ask them how their weekend is or how their child is doing in school before I get to business or they're going to be offended. So that's the fun part about it. I think it's pretty incredible. Like you seem like a, a pretty young guy. You've written five books already. And I'm, I'm pretty amazed by that because I'm just about to release my first book. And I can tell you that it took me like 10 years to just <laughs> get it out of me. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm, really impressed with five books geez which well, one Dave, Dave which are short books yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're books but they're short books yeah I'll hold it up here see it's it's not a lot of they're they're 100 pages or less so but it is you're right a book is still a book right it takes yeah. discipline to write it and uh, to get it edited and to get a cover and the design and all that stuff uh it is a lot of work to write a book well since you got your book right there, is that the, the newest one? Yes, sir. Let's see. So there we go. Leading through the dark waters of conflict, top tips for getting more win-win solutions in difficult situations. Can we dig into that a little bit and really sure. um, talk about some of those tips? Yeah, absolutely. So I've written the book as sort of, well, the beginning talks about like, why as leaders we need to confront? Most leaders don't want to confront. Uh, either they want to be liked or they don't feel like they have enough tools in their tool belts to do it well. Maybe they have been burned in the past when they have confronted and employees have yelled back at them or slammed doors or you know, filed lawsuits or whatever happened. And they have a lot of scars from the past. So a lot of leaders will be like, I just hope that problem goes away or I hope somebody else takes care of it for me. But what happens when we don't confront is we lose respect from our team. We, uh, we start building a reputation that um, all these like little baby cancers are allowed to just keep metastasizing uh, on our team and attitudes keep going into the tank. So morale goes down, respect for the leader goes down, um, the vision slows down because boy, you're, you're dealing with all these little squabbles. Well, actually you're not dealing with them. And so they're actually becoming animals of themselves and so we have to actually take the courage and confront out of a spirit of caring. Like I care about the team, the organization, but I care about the person too. And I have to show courage in order to take that plunge and have the difficult conversation. So that's how the book starts. As you're navigating through these, these conflicts, I, well, 
I'd like to maybe get a, a feel for what's in your book. I would imagine maybe you kind of go from an easy conflict uh, type of deal to you, you coach somebody on dealing with more severe conflict. And yeah, but you know, it, it's all still about the same. It's just, yeah, there is a section in the book on when things get ugly, right? When there's, um, you know, you may need to bring another person in the room as sort of a witness, you know, to, to settle that person down or you need to take a time out because things aren't going well or send that person home for the day to give them some things to chew on before they come back. So yeah, those are the, the uglier ones. But I, I start with just like, here's a, here's a format. Here's like my top 10 tips for uh, dealing with trying to get a win-win in, in conflict. And some of those tips begin before that person even walks in the room. Um, like, like taking good care of yourself uh, is really important because if I'm tired or I'm irritated or uh, burned out, or I've got something against that person, like, like I'm holding an offense against them, that is not a good time to confront or this is gonna go ugly really fast. I'm, I'm really curious about the, the tips in your book. Um, if you're willing to talk about them uh, with the listeners, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that we can all relate, especially people in, in leadership positions. You know, I, I know that early on in my career, I struggled with you know, the, those team dynamics where there might be a little bit of conflict and, and having to address those little squabbles as like a third party, but as the supervisor and not wanting to really, you know, upset either one of those parties because they're both part of the team and they're both good producers on the team, you know? So maybe just different personalities, not seeing eye to eye, and they just don't like each other. How, how, do, you, uh, how do you navigate something like that? Oh, that is, that's a very real situation. I actually enjoy mediating those kind of conflicts because it doesn't deal with me. <laughs> it's trying to help two other people uh, settle that. Maybe it's a little bit of a counselor uh, in me. And so I don't really mind that. When it involves me, then I, I get the butterflies in my stomach and I'm I have to be motivated by my own book, you know, to, to take the, the steps forward. But I actually enjoy that. People, companies will call me to come in and help mediate conflict. I'll, I'll go in and I'll interview the players, you know, the, the teammates who are wrestling with stuff and uh, ask them some really deep questions to try to get to the bottom of something until I can diagnose like, oh, okay, I see where the, the difficult relationships are. And then I ask the leader, I'll say, would you like me to mediate? that conflict to make it a psychologically safe environment for them to resolve that. And oftentimes those go really well. I mean, it start, starts pretty messy to be honest. And then uh, after that, when they finally hear each other out, we can actually get to some solution if people will put their egos aside and uh, really go with a, uh, we can solve this situation. So yeah, um, I, I could share some of those principles with you if you'd like, Dave. Yeah, so uh, some of those are, um, before people even walk in the room, like I mentioned, like maybe you need to get a uh, consult your coach or your mentor about the situation before you even address it with the person. Because oftentimes by getting an outside perspective, someone who's not directly uh, involved emotionally in the situation, 
they could tell you if you're like way off base or it's like, wow, what took you so long, man? <laughs> you should have you should have been on that uh, a long time ago. Uh, addressing it sooner than later is a big principle too. I've never had someone come to me, Dave, and say, Paul, I just got on it too soon. <laughs> they just don't do that, right? It's always like, oh, I've let that thing just fester and fester. And, and now it's to become this big thing. Uh, I like to quote other people, but one of my quotes is, uh, if you sweep enough under the rug, it eventually becomes a tripping hazard. So <laughs> I like I use that with conflict. Like you just keep sweeping those issues under, and eventually you're going to trip over it, and it's going to become something like a volcano, you know, going off. One more thing before you get in with the person that you're going to have to confront is uh, prepare for the conversation. Now I'm not saying worry about the conversation. That's that's the hard part especially if you're more that golden retriever beaver style, that introvert style, you just get yourself all worked up. The typical person does. If she says this, then I'm going to say this. And if he says this, then I'm going to say this. And it never goes down that way. All we do is lose sleep and disconnect from the people we love because we're worried about the conflict that's coming. I would say instead of worrying, prepare for the conversation. Think about like, what do you need to get out there. Like, what is, what is the issue you need to talk about? What do you think the other person needs? And this is hard. You might have to diagnose a little bit of that. And then what does this ongoing relationship need in order, because we're going to be working together for a long time, hopefully. So um, this, this conversation is going to alter that forever. And uh, I don't mean that to scare everybody, but just like, okay, when you confront, hopefully something better is going to come out on the other side, but maybe not. But either way, something's going to break free in that conversation and it's not going to keep festering like it was prior so prepare for that conversation before you even get with the person uh, next step would be to uh, as soon as you're with the person to have uh, some kind of setting of the stage of what we want to do together in this conversation the hardest the hardest part one author calls it like the messy half minute right the 30 seconds of getting that awful conversation started is the hardest part. And I think that's what we worry about the most. Once we get into it, it's like, okay, the adrenaline starts to come down a little bit and we can actually have a conversation, but how do we bring it up? So if we've got a sentence like, you know, I'm just, uh, I wanted to get us together today because there's been some tension on the staff or uh, I've noticed, you know, some of your reactions to the last things I've said in staff meeting uh, or I've observed this or um, some kind of thing that brings us into the conversation of saying what we're all about and I, I really believe that we can solve this together. So I wanted to get our heads together so we could solve this so that this problem uh, doesn't keep raising its ugly head in front of the rest of the team. Some kind of phrase like that will set the stage that we can really do this. And here's what we're gonna talk about. Then you gotta get to the point. You've gotta have some type of formula and an easy one that I picked up from some other author was SBI. So situation. So uh, you know, in the last five staff meetings, that would be a situation. The B is the behavior that they uh, exhibited, usually the below the line behavior. So this could be uh, when, so when one of our teammates gives an idea, you rolled your eyes, you folded your arms, slouched back in your seat and made a cynical comment. So that would be the behavior that they did. And then the I of SBI is the impact that it had, usually a negative impact on the rest of the team. Uh, for instance, like, so then nobody gave any creative ideas after that, after that point, after your response to them, or I could see that that leader on our team got undermined by your comments. So they, they checked out uh, after that time. 
So SBI, if you don't remember anything else uh, from our from from this conversation, it would be situation, behavior, and impact, and it's a great outline for um, confronting somebody. And so when when you prepare in that sense and you have it kind of outlined, the next step is to actually have that conversation with them. And I'm I'm guessing that there are there are certain approaches that are more effective than others <laughs> yes there are definitely ways well i like to say it this way there's you, you can bring one of two buckets to the fire right the fire is the conflict right you can bring a bucket of water or a bucket of gasoline right so the bucket of gasoline is just going to exacerbate the situation and blow it up more like we're using words like always and never and and uh using uh being more of a lecturer of the person where you're being sort of parental or um, being speaking for other people like the whole team thinks you suck at this you know or you know some kind of some kind of comment that you if it, if i was even saying that to you dave you'd be like you would start to stiffen up a little bit like mm, I, don't, I don't like that at all so that exacerbates it but the bucket of water are, are phrases we can use body language that we can show that goes you know it's a sort of it sort of cools off the fire so we can literally have a discussion. You know, like I said, by setting the stage, first of all, with we can we can do this, like I have confidence that we can work through this, uh, that that's setting this tone and assuming positive intent from the get go is going to put you in a better place to resolve the conflict. There might be uh, some instances where you share the things that are going right with that person. Now, you wouldn't do that in a uh, performance improvement plan scenario or a, you know, a termination, obviously. But if this is sort of a lighter confrontation, like this is just one issue, you may want to say the things that are going well as well. Uh, and so that's going to help. Um, any way that you can build confidence in that person is great. And that would lead to the next step uh, in, in the win-win scenario, which is listening to their feedback when they either push back uh, you know, or just respond in some way that you got to lead with your ears at that moment. Don't shut that out or try to interrupt them or say, no, that's not true, or I never did that, because that just invalidates them. People want to be heard. They want to be gotten, like, you know, you want to you want to be feel like somebody gets you. Uh, so listening and empathy are really the ways that we lead as the conversation goes on. It's interesting that you would use those uh, the, the empathy and, and the communication part and, and listening like the, those are when, when I'm teaching leadership, I talk about how important communication is, but not just what you're saying, how much you're listening mm -hmm. and, and being empathetic in a way, like they know that they're being heard. Yeah. And, and trying to put yourself in their shoes. So I think that these conflict resolution tools are key to being an effective leader. And, and a lot of times it's, it's not framed in that way. You know, you don't really think of uh, leaders as being conflict resolution people, but if you lead any for any amount of time, uh, any group of people, there's going to be conflict within that team if you 
spend enough time with them. And being able to navigate that is key to being viewed as an effective leader. Well, that, that is so true. And, and we often don't have any models, good models of that growing up. Um, it, we've probably watched our parents do it well or not well, right? Uh, we've watched maybe a boss do it well or not well. And really that's all we got. So our tools and our tool are minimal unless you've taken some training, uh, read some books and really worked on the skill of being a good conflict resolver. Otherwise, um, we're sort of shooting from the hip and I would never recommend to shoot from the hip when you're going into a conflict situation. One thing that uh, I'm curious about, you, you've written five books and they all seem to be based on leadership, the, the one, the static cling principle, it's on habits and mindsets, but you've got to have good habits and, you know, the appropriate mindset if you're leading people. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if they cover similar themes or if they are linked in some way. Uh, I mean, they, they came from your head, so I would imagine they are somewhat. Yeah, good, good question. Um, and really my goal, I, I don't think I'll be able to fulfill it completely, but is to write one of these books a year based on one of the themes that I do a training on because then, and here's a little secret uh, for the other trainers out there, you know, you have enough content pretty much for a book already if you've already taught a seminar. So taking that seminar, making it into book form by adding more information, you know, rounding it out with some stories and uh, other information, uh, you've got a book half written to start out with. So that's my little secret uh, for, for uh, pu pushing out more books because you can't help anybody if it's just stuck in your head. You've got to get it into writing. So I just use that as an aside. But yeah, the, uh, the first book I came up with was The Static Cling Principle. And uh, the book had been in my head for a while. I, I, I thought of it while doing laundry. I know that sounds really funny, but it's a true story. And I pulled out the laundry and you know, you get the static cling, you get that electric shock if you don't use the fabric softener in there. And I just, for speakers, everything is a metaphor <laughs> or a story. So I thought about like, boy, when you pull things off your life, sometimes you get a spark from that. And then I thought, okay, so what are some things we need to stick to our lives? And what are some things we need to pull off our life despite the spark uh, that happened? So that's how that book came to be. And uh, actually a guy on an airplane with me we sketched out the outline of the book on a napkin, like a Delta Airlines napkin. And then I scheduled some time to go to the coast, the Oregon coast, and uh, spent two days and wrote the whole book in two days because I had this great outline of like what the chapters would be. And I just banged it out, just, just wrote for hours. So that's the story of my first book. Uh, two of the other books are leadership-based. So uh, Leading the Team You've Always Wanted are my top tips for being a terrific team leader, 11 inspirational actions that you can take your group from being a group and melding it into a true team because sometimes we just have groups, uh, but really most of us wanna be on a highly functioning team. Um, one book in the middle that I, that I oh, and then I'm leading with supervision, supervision. So uh, just a little play on that word supervision. It's all about vision and leadership. Like, where are we going? I wanna know where my leader is taking me on this journey. So how do you craft a compelling vision? How do you cast it? And then how do you carry it for the long haul? 
So that was that book. And then the last book was Maximizing Every Minute. And this was my time management book. So I've been studying time management for my whole career and just trying and adopting little productivity habits along the way until I had so many that I have tried out that I thought I would put them all in one book. So maximizing every minute is if you want to get your time management under control and have this be the year that you're most productive, uh, these are all the different things that I have tried and would recommend. I need to read that book. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> In fact, on most podcasts, uh, that's the topic that they want to talk about. <laughs> Leading the team you've always wanted, that is, uh, you know, I talk about that a lot. And and I'm really curious to, to hear your perspective um, because I think there's going to be some parallels. So uh, my, my perspective comes from the fire service mm -hmm. and uh, really, you know, there's, there's always high performers. There's the people that would rather not be there. There's the middle of the road. Um, <laughs> but really being able to get everybody on board and, and like super pumped up about showing up to be a part of that team is it, you know that that's the goal yep so i yeah. i'm i'm curious like what steps do you outline in that book to really get get a team to that level yeah and i think it even starts before they <clears throat> before you actually begin team building and that's the hiring process like and i know we're in the great resignation now and it's hard to get people that want to actually do work you know and be a, be a part of a team so I think we've got to get even better on the uh, putting out a great application packet, screening well, doing fantastic interviews and making those thorough, not just maybe a one and done, but, but two or three interviews and really screening for team building kind of questions, like um, figuring out if they say the word we a lot or the word I in, in, the, in the interview questions. Are they pumping themselves up or are they saying, I was only successful because of the team wrapped around me. That's a really good sign that you're hiring a team player that wants to work together. Uh, but then, you know, vision's a part of this one too. So I've laced vision in a couple of the books because you have to show your team what it means to be a highly functional team or else they're just going to do what they've always done. People default back to self-centeredness. They don't default to teamwork, right? Yeah, they, they just will do the least amount of work possible or uh, the stuff that, that builds up their portfolio. But um, unless you're an otter personality where it's just like, it's all about people, 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 you know, and they wanna be around them all the time, uh, people will default back to self-centeredness. So you have to show them if we work together and everybody's in their sweet spot, in their strength zone, and they're lit up in that area, we bring that together, oh man, this is gonna be awesome together. So vision's a big deal. And then uh, learning the individuality of each of your people so that you know how to light them up. So you do the personality quiz or the disc, you do a, a conflict style analysis, um, you do a um, words of appreciation, uh, like the love, the, the appreciation languages. Yeah, you might wanna do that one with your team to see what motivates them to work. And by knowing that about your team, they see that you care and then you can put them in the right roles where they will thrive. 
that was really interesting about the 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 appreciation languages. Um, I've never thought of doing something like that, but that would be really effective. Mm -hmm. uh, just, I mean, as a tool to understand, you know, what uh, what drives people. <clears throat> yeah, it, I mean, it really is critical because it shows you're investing in them, you know, and that you, that you care about them as a person. You're not just, they're not just, uh, you know, a pawn or a, uh, you know, just one of the cogs in the wheel, as they like to say, right? You're you're caring about them individually. What maxes them up, maxes them out? What lights them up? What causes anxiety in them? What gives them lots of joy? One tool I will use uh, for me just as a coach to get to know people, but that I would give to every team leader is the concept of a stay interview. You've probably heard of an exit interview before. You know, the last thing that happens on your last day of work um, where they, they interview you and say, what could have been better? And people throw grenades in the room like, well, if you'd have been a better boss or if I would have had the equipment or, you know, this culture is awful. And the HR person just stares at them and like, why didn't you say something when you were here? Like we could have done something about them. So some brilliant HR person came up with the concept of a stay interview, which is asking exit interview questions while you're still employed so we can do something about it. So I've got a tool that I've developed that um, leaders can use in their one-to-ones with each of their people. And the questions go a little bit deeper than just, hey, how's it going lately on the job, right? It talks about uh, what are they excited about? Uh, what do they wish they could spend more time on at work? You know, what's, what's one suggestion that um, we could implement together to be closer knit as a team? That's the level of questions that happen in the stay interview. And is that in that book? No, no, but I could, if, if listeners wanted to reach out or we could put it in the show notes, uh, I'd be happy to send it to anybody that would like it. Yeah, I, I would love to put that in the show notes. That's, uh, that's actually pretty cool. That could go a long way in the fire service because mm. I think a lot of people just, they, especially in a larger organization, they're, they're not gonna feel like they're being heard so they're not going to ever bring anything up because then that puts them on the outs and shines a light on them. But if somebody's asking them and, and really interested in their answers, I mean, it could even be done in a way where you, you ask people to, to fill it out, but do it anonymously. Sure. Yeah. And and the employee survey is usually the method people use to do the anonymous thing. But I like the stay interview even better because that's in a face-to-face -face environment where you're asking deep questions and they, they can see on your face that you like wanna know. We talked about listening earlier and empathy. That's where that can come out where people will see like, wow, it, all right, you really wanna know? Here we go. And then blah, you know, out it comes uh, unfiltered, but that's okay. Cause you're not gonna react to that. You're gonna be taking notes. You'll be like, and then you're going to follow up with a question and they're going to be like, wow, my leader actually cared enough to write down what I said. Maybe something will happen. And then if you actually implement any of their suggestions, uh, you give credit to the person that came up with the suggestion and they get high fives from their, their buddies, right? Because it's like, wow, you finally got something done around here. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm viewing this in uh, the, the context of like a, a large metropolitan fire department where that one-on-one -on -one could be done 
with a, a company officer and the crew um, so that company officer could you know get a, a better feel for or a better gauge on uh, the, the mindset of the team and yep. so yeah that that's huge um, yeah I really enjoyed the uh, do, gauging the pulse of the team employee engagement surveys I think everybody should do that if you're in an organization because that's one of the only ways you know and if you make it anonymous often people will will uh, actually put comments and they won't just I don't like the rating quite as much because a scale of one to five or whatever, that doesn't tell me a whole lot, but I really ask them to come up with, really answer every question, give me a little comment on each one. And then, you know, the culminating of the comments takes a long time, but it's worth it because then as a leadership team, you can go like, whoa, there's the problem, you know, or boy, there's three things we can do about that because it's tangible. You know, we, it's not just like everyone in leadership's got a bad attitude. Well, you can't do anything with that, right? But if somebody says like, all they do is put us down and they give us no recognition. Oh, okay, ouch. We can actually do something about that and hold ourselves accountable. In your, your coaching, when you're coaching executives or uh, maybe even just like small team leaders, what are some of the things that, you like to dive into? What are you most passionate about? Well, I like to start with their personal self-leadership. So my, my podcast, Grow Forward Today, is all about personal leadership development, because I believe you can only lead people as far or as well as you've led yourself. So uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of leaders who don't have that emotional intelligence to, um, and they're, they're putting on a good face, right? And they know like, these are the things I need to do to lead, but they haven't done the internal work yet to, uh, for that to come out naturally. So I really like to, in my coaching, especially to work on the inner leader first, before we talk about like how to praise your people more and how to deal with the conflict or how to cast vision. So we will talk about how they're using their time. We'll talk about uh, leading from their values so that they're more authentic uh, as a leader, um, setting their own personal goals and professional goals. So all those things uh, I feel like are stepping stones and then we can get to the ways to lead their team. So that 80% of your, your time is dedicated to your coaching. And uh, I'm curious, if somebody's interested in enlisting your your coaching services would they just go to your your website and contact you through there sure yeah they would go to growingforwardservices.net that would be the a good starting point for uh getting to learn about all things paul casey and growing forward services uh would be there and yeah then we could talk about coaching or um training uh course we can do virtual training anywhere in the world because uh, that's one thing that came out of COVID that was uh, both good and bad right I was, I was sad because all those gigs went away uh, for two years of having that live energy in the room but the good part is we made some adjustments so that we could do virtual training it's just harder to connect with people but I try to pull out all the stops you know with with breakout rooms and uh, you know chats and video and other ways that we can make training uh, even more exciting. Well, I'll have in the show notes, a uh, link to your website. You'll be able to look on there, uh, find all of your services. Do you 
have the pricing on there or is it kind of customized to the client? Uh, it's pretty customized. The, the coaching pricing would be on there uh, for uh, 2022 rates. Uh, but as far as the uh, speaking gigs or possibly doing group coaching where you've got three or four people at about the same level uh, doing a 90 minute session. Uh, so those are more customized. So yeah, just to tell them reach out uh, growing forward at paulcasey.org, which is my email. And that would be a way to start that discussion. And so I can customize it to what you need. Paul, I really appreciate you, you coming on, agreeing to let me interview you and talk about your books. Uh, you've shared a, a lot of great insights with the audience. And um, I, I just really appreciate the time that, that you've given me. Thanks, Dave. Everyone keep growing forward. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.